Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the I see dead people. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, where all that is is not what it appears to be, because that blonde is no longer a blonde. It is a, can I say, a chrome dome, a ball-headed man from the UK. It is Steve Parsons. I am actually blonde. Somewhere. What's left of it? <laughs> so, can I call you bald-headed? Is that is that a true term? What do you say? Uh, I never thought of that. I really never did. I think it's appropriate. You think it's appropriate? Yeah, shaven-headed. I think it's shaven-headed. I like skinhead. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> not the U.S. You'll be in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much because it's already tomorrow there, right? It is. We are two minutes and 15 seconds into Thursday. Friday. Wow. No, Thursday. Oh, Thursday. What's it, what's it going to be like for us? Uh, well, do you know what? <laughs> Talking about that future, uh, those yes. of you who listen to Ghost Chronicles International, both our listeners on that, was, I was talking about um, an, a pro, uh, thing I was watching with a, a dumb American who believed that um, England was located on Jupiter. Well, same person. Isn't it? Was that, well, no. But the same oh. person was actually ranting uh, later on their channel that um, Asia should be bombed because they were 12 hours ahead of the U.S. and could have warned the U.S. about 9-11. You know, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> to me, that makes sense. I, I'm sorry. I mean... Yeah, which high school did you go to? The same one as... Probably, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Uh, well, wait a minute. That's all based they on science. Seri- they mean, were deadly serious. Well, the in Asia reality, is... I mean, if you look at it, and a lot of people do this, they oh, look at God. things logically, right? Oh, God. Right? If you're ahead of me, then you should be already be ahead of me. So you I should am. know things that happen before I... Thursday. It's the, exactly. I, I always, well, I always so know things that happen if you apply logic you. to it, then it makes sense. No, no. If you apply logic to it, it suddenly stops making I mean, sense. logic, but uh, logic. <laughs> and this yeah. this brought up a, a neat little conversation that uh, we were talking about earlier today when I sucked you into doing a show, um, and that is you were telling me about this scientist I believe that said we had a problem and I wasn't aware. Oh, yeah. Of. Oh yeah. yeah. No, this. You see, lately I've been. Uh, I should explain. Uh, I don't sit and watch YouTube all the time. Um, oh, yeah, but, right. No, honestly, I don't. But I have been looking at a certain you know, sort of uh, demographics, uh, groups of people, to try to ascertain um, their level of understanding because of something I'm working on. And YouTube throws up um, suggestions. And if you, you know, I went out the room, made a cup of coffee, came back in, and it had gone on to the next video. The next video was actually the most fascinating because it was a. 
it was a, a, an American, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, this is no reflection on America. It's just that YouTube tends to, you know, uh, there are more users of YouTube um, by volume because, you know, you've 260 million versus our 65 million. Uh, but this particular person started off by saying, I like to think of things scientifically and then went on to describe how um, the world needs to sit up and take notice, people, because we're running out of gravity. We're using gravity too much. There are too many people using too much gravity, and it's, I a, agree. Finite I agree. And it's a finite resource. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ghost Girl, and does sound funny, because she's not Ghost Girl. I um, mean, just oh. responding to the chat room. Oh, really? You yeah. Actually so, yeah, we're running out of gravity, people. Be, be, be very careful. Well, I figured that out how that works. It's all because of yoga pants. It is? Yes, yes. Ah, right. Right, because what happens is you put yoga pants on and it compresses everything. So all that extra compression uh, driving on the force of gravity is sucking all the gravity and forcing it, you know, to... Yeah. Yeah, a little a little later in the same video uh, vlog the the same person then described that as they'd recently discovered water on mars that clearly explains why it rains on earth because the water huh? drips off mars what yeah isn't there like a little distance between mars and earth yeah but it's above us so it falls down that was their logic huh. think about it logically huh. it makes sense well it made sense to that person yeah, I guess. Yeah. The, the point I was trying to uh, what what it was what intrigued me is that this person was clearly high school educated and was not an unintelligent person. Sure. <laughs> they sorry. had been given they had been given all of the information and the resources, the the books, the um, the educational material. But it's the way they then put that material together in their mind. Now, that related, the, the project was, um, you know, why some people uh, seem to misunderstand information when it's, you know, you think it's being clearly presented to them, and yet they, they draw some pretty strange conclusions from that information. Uh, or strange, you know, so that's, that's why I was uh, researching the subject of how people uh, take information and and do what they will with it. Yeah, it's true. And people in in this was was kind of my beef is that I was complaining because so many groups just banter that word science around like it's you know a religion or something. You know, I, I like believe in God. I believe in science. You know, it's like uh, you know, and it's it's just basically trying to uh, give them some uh, what's the word integrity, I guess, but. Uh, Credentials. Well, it is, it yeah, them, it, it, it gives them a certain status. Because um, they it use makes, it with science. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a simple misunderstanding of the word science. And um, science is is a methodology. A monkey can do science. A child can do science. We all do science almost every single day without consciously thinking about it, because it's simply observe something, think about what it might what might be causing it, maybe test that idea, reach mm-hmm. a conclusion. If your conclusion fails, then reevaluate the experiment, etc., etc. But you get you get people, you hear it from uh, academics, you hear it from, from uh, investigators. They use the word science as, a, as a, 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 a step up the ladder above their peers. So you will hear people on television programs, for example, saying, well, speaking as a scientist, 
or we approach this subject scientifically. Or you you even get even bizarrely, mediums, right? Well, I was going to say even most bizarrely of all, you get um, the the antithesis of science, which is spiritualism and religion, where they say, well. You know, I'm I'm a medium, but I'm a science. I I approach everything scientifically. Now, yes, yeah. I mean, uh, what they're uh, it's not it, the, their experimental methodology. Um, the five steps is being short circuited by belief, mm. and so it is almost the antithesis. It's just a shame, of, really. It really is. It is, but you know, it, it's the way of the world. And what what you have to try to do as an as a, an educator, as a facilitator, myself with ghostology, and you with the um, paranormal CSI, and the oh, stuff you've done at North, North Essex College, and the other courses that you've run, we we give out the information, we provide the information for people, but we can't control what they then do with the information afterwards. And it's the same people, you know, they they read. Um, books about how to investigate. They read books about how the world is constructed around them, and and then they can take that information, and based upon their ideas, based upon their own beliefs, based upon what they may have picked up from other sources, um, they then construct that information in a different way. It's like Lego bricks. You give them the information. Some people will build a house. Other people will build a car. And some people will build a banana. Yeah, just to let everybody know in chat, I will not wear yoga pants. Although I think I'd rather wear them than boxes. I hate boxes. I thought you said, I thought you said yogurt. I do. I did. You remember how I speak, right? Yeah, I, but I, I like okay, yogurt. You okay. Can you get pants made of yogurt? I probably could, yes. Anyway, but you told me not to rant tonight. No, I wasn't, but that was interesting, and, <laughs> and I found it, I found it intriguing, because I was actually watching Arthur C. My son came over, <coughs> and his fiance, and we were watching Arthur C. Clark, and, and it's a good, if you, if you have a chance, watch Arthur C. Clark. He did a whole bunch of series. I've got the whole box set, and it was, yep. it's awesome. Down and, Sri Lankan beach under a... Yes, yes, on retreat in Saranka. Yeah, but anyways, the cool thing is about it is he'll he'll you know investigate a, a specific subject, and um, and what he does he'll he'll give the all the eyewitness testimony and everything else, and then he'll have some schmuck British scientists uh, come up with some idea to uh, uh, you know say this is the way it done, and and I was watching one today that that uh, about the the. This one was all on the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it was about a church in England, and the the Virgin Mary appeared with a couple of the dudes on the wall of the church. It's Our Lady of Knox. That's what it is. Yeah, that's in Ireland. Yeah, well, same thing. What an island. You Don't care. say that to an Irish person. Yeah, it's they're both on Jupiter. It doesn't matter, you know. They're both on Jupiter. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to do where the Jupiter thing, scroll back through the podcast to last night's Ghost Chronicles Internet. No, I do remember it. I do remember it. No, I'm talking to the two listeners on this. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what? We have no audio. Is that what people telling me? Uh, audio, audio is gone, John. Yes, gone, baby, gone. Now I don't know if that's our audio or whether it's his audio. So keep talking, and we'll make up the list on the podcast. Or go to Pararex because we're hearing is on Pararex. Are they really? Yeah. Hmm. 
Anyway, so uh, yeah, so the, the the thing is about this, like, okay, so the lady in Knox, they show that the, this vision appeared. A lot of people, there was like hundreds of witnesses, right? And then uh, this guy came up there and he made a replica of the wall. And uh, what he did is he took a projector and projected the the Virgin Mary on the wall. And yeah. It was on a mirror. Now it came out of the window on the side of the thing, so he had a go through the window to put the mirror out there so it's sticking out over past the wall. Oh, Cal's calling me again. I know, he keeps doing That's that. That's an He's old He always wants He's to come on the desperate. show. Yes. But, but while, you, while you refer to Cal, that problem that you just described is, is a classic example where the, the explanation becomes even less plausible because it becomes more complicated than you know, a much simpler explanation. This guy, I mean, he's, he's putting mirrors, and so is, is he suggesting that the original uh, apparition on the on the church gable at Knock was... Yeah. Well, what he was, you what think he how said, immensely complex that is to set up? Oh, this is what he said. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what he said. Uh, he had a projector box, okay, so it must have been from the time period. I don't know what it was. And it had a mirror that came up and it stuck out the window and it projected this. And the reason why it was done is because the pastor there was uh, not well liked. So he, he, he's the one that did this whole hoaxery. Well, that's, and, that's one explanation. That's his theory. That's why he proved it. Now, he didn't say that. He says, I proved it. This is how it was done. Well, you put this idea of I've proved it is, is nonsensical because in, in some Thank respect, you. you can prove certain things by replicating an experiment in an identical fashion. However, there have been a lot of examples where um, people say, I've, I've proved orbs exist or I've proved one, one great example goes back to um, uh, about. 15, 20 years ago, when orbs first started appearing, um, and the over here, ASAP, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, were, were obviously intrigued by the phenomena of orbs, and they they wanted to test the idea that they were airborne particles, and so what they did is they went out into um, uh, the, the, the home of one of uh, the team, and they put a flash on the camera, um, and then they started throwing cinnamon dust around, and they got, <laughs> they got very, very good orb photographs. Sure they did. And they said at the time, this, of course, proves that orbs are dust. Now, yes, later experiments have demonstrated that fact, but they were much different experiments. The problem with that ASAP experiment is I have never been to any location where anybody ever threw cinnamon dust. So they weren't replicating the conditions that were existing at the the actual moment when people See, that's were the capturing. Thing. That's the... the thing you can never do because well, you, you can under certain circumstances. And no, you can set them up. A, well, all right, I, I'll never say never, but for most well, cases I, you can't because you can't set up the exact. Well, actually, actually, you can with very careful experimental design. And one of the one of the one of the problems when uh, if you no. go to the Parascience webpage and look at all the orbs. Uh, well, I don't want to go into orbs. Please, no, 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 no. I'm talking to the listener. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> you will see that the experimental protocol that was designed for that experiment took into account that problem, and the problem was uh, replication of the exact time and. Um, uh, conditions. Time, weather conditions. Exactly. So what, conditions, we, what, all that. 
Yeah. So what we needed to do was to uh, run the experiment whilst people were capturing orbs and claiming that they were capturing orbs. And what, what we actually did was we took the camera, the stereo camera, on location. I wish you wouldn't have brought it up because that's not what I was really want to talk about, but that's well, fine. Well, we took it on location uh, clandestinely and alongside okay. people who were claiming, and they were getting orbs on their, photo on their photographs, we were also shooting with the camera set on the identical settings to them in the same location at the same time under the same self-same conditions. So that's how we were able to... Um, yeah, I really don't want to get into that as being like that. My, my, no, but, my, you, but um, what, the, what but I what, what I was, I wasn't considering about orbs because orbs. No, I wasn't talking about orbs either in, in sense of them uh, demonstrating that. What I'm I was saying, talking like, about experimental design. What I'm saying is like the brown, the lady, uh, the uh, the brown, uh, I can't even say yeah, the brown lady, the brown lady of Rainham Hall. Right, something like that. Uh, you might be able to take a projector and, and project it there, but you can't really say that that's yeah, proof of, of what happened at that time. Well, that's what some of these people do. They are, in fact, Richard Richard Wiseman, Professor Richard Wiseman, a British, a leading British skeptic yes, and parapsychologist. Wiseman is just John Nicol of. Uh, he went to Tantallon Castle in Scotland after a, a, a picture of a, an apparent ghost or spirit had been taken there, and he went to try and replicate it by standing in the spot and setting up a camera. And he got a picture that was similar, but the replication was not a good, uh, did not stand scrutiny because it was on a different time of day, on a different day of the year, under okay. different lighting conditions. It was close, but no cigar. What we had to, what you have to do, and what we did with the experiments I talked about earlier, is you have to, if you're going to try and replicate something, you have to mitigate out as many of the differences as you can and make it as close to the original um, conditions. So if Richard had gone to Tantallon, um uh, the say you know the following year on the same would day it would have been it a possible but it explanation would been, it would have been much closer because he would have yes. mitigated out and what you try to do is get as close as you can to the original now within a laboratory setting in terms of science physics um the the, 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 stuff, the stuff they do at CERN, they can set up the experimental protocols identically time after time after time after time. And you can do that you know, when you're testing um, drugs. You can do that when you're testing aircraft components mm -hmm. you, because you, you have total control. What you don't right. have control of in a haunted location uh, is people, the location. You know, There are many, many variables. And so you get as absolutely as close as you can um, to the original set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, you know, the balance of probabilities favours. Right. Now, what? So, so that's what I'm referring to. And what we did right. with that particular experiment was get as... Ap we, were, we were alongside... If you had said any other subject than OBS, I would have been so happy. Well... <laughs> what what we had to I know, I know, no, I I I designing the experiment, we had to look at all of the ways that, that experiment could be undermined and try to address them. Totally understand. John's got a question. It says, do you go in first to get a base reading before investigation? The actual uh, base reading is something that's that's uh that's quite an American thing, right? 
Well, no, 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 no. Um, it's, oh, no, no, no. It's just common, just as commonly right. used over here. Um, oh, okay. This idea of obtaining a baseline reading, which is important. But what most people uh, misunderstand is the, the baseline reading. If you, if you take it um, prior to the investigation uh, so, and then you alter any of the circumstances, Exactly. What you end up with is a comparative reading. A baseline reading really needs to run continuously throughout the um, investigation. So it isn't something that's done separately an hour before, a day before, a week before. Um, that will give you comparative information, comparative data that you can use. Um, and and that's the problem with spontaneous investigation. Well, again, you can mitigate uh, some of those situations out by having a continuous baseline reading. Yeah. Now, something as simple as a locked-off camera is a baseline reading, providing right. recording all the time. Something as simple as a data-logging thermometer is providing you with baseline information. Exactly. Providing, right. And you can refer back to that baseline information, but if you've stopped recording it uh, or have taken it you know, minutes, hours, days in advance, it becomes a comparative reading. There's so many components involved in a spontaneous investigation that it's extremely difficult to, uh, you know, rule out all circumstances and, and, no, and all, that's the, in all not, contamination. You're dead right. And the job of a competent investigator is to um, try to impose or try to obtain some information from the chaos that is uh, a haunted location, a spontaneous case, because you have some control over the location you can lock doors you can uh, control access in some circumstances but in other circumstances you can't do that and what you have to try and do is is find ways of obtaining useful information um, from the set of circumstances that you're presented with mm, i agree but anyways uh sometimes even when we do our own investigations things go wrong don't they Oh, spectacularly! <laughs> and, and, and I know you, Steve, and in, in, uh, I know you're a very thorough person when you when you get involved in this, and and uh, I respect you for that. So I, I I was surprised that even you had your little slip ups once in a while. Um, we've had many, and part uh, actually the slip ups are probably some of the the most um, useful because they teach you about uh, thing, the, the things that go wrong are that you, know, you learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, if you continue to repeat the same mistake, I mean, one, one great example of um, an error uh, comes, came on an early investigation. And we were, we were presented afterwards with, well, it was, it was an error at the time that fortunately we, 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 we were able to deal with. What happened was we had uh, two team members at the top of a stairwell and two team members at the bottom of a wooden stairwell. So it was a, flight of wooden, a single flight of wooden stairs about 20 feet uh, height between the two. Between How the many two metres is that? Uh, well, I'm working in Imperial because we're talking about <laughs> But about three and a half metres. Oh, very good. Thank you. They, um, <laughs> yeah, they, at the end of the night, um, the audio recorders were collected back. And one, uh, after they were listened back, um, it was reported that there was the sound of running footsteps had been heard on the audio recorder that was at the base of the stairs. Oh, wow. 
And when you listen to the footsteps, now bear in mind, when you listen to the, the audio recording, uh, bear in mind we'd already you know, the, excitedly been told that they're footsteps. So you tend to hear what you've told you here. Exactly. And I must admit, you know, giving it a listen, um, they did sound like somebody running down this flight of wooden stairs. Um, and it was it, it 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 was quite exciting for for a few moments, and I remembered that luckily we had a tripod mounted uh, camera, a video camera at the bottom of the stairs or near the bottom of the stairs that could see up the entire flight of stairs, and so uh, I, we pulled the footage and we had a look at it at, for that time, and the group the pair of investigators at the bottom didn't respond at all. Um, now this was a, a, a video only recorder. There was no sound associated with the with okay. the recording, but they didn't they didn't even look at the stairs. They they paid no attention, no heed of the stairs, which was baffling. Uh, so we looked at a camera that was located on the upper floor. Um, it was a long shot, but could see the two other investigators that were at the top of the stairs, and we realised that at the time something. There was some motion between these two investigators, and one of them had, had leaned forward and bent down. Um, although they were in long shot, we couldn't quite work out what we were doing. So we went, contacted them, phoned them up, and said what had happened. And one of them said, uh, one of the investigators at the top of the stairs said at that, um, that they dropped their pen, and it had gone down the flight of stairs. Now. That's what they were doing because the ones at the bottom had seen what had happened um, because they, but they they didn't react, they didn't respond. They could see what had happened. They saw the pen coming down the stairs, and then when the when the session ended, they they collected the pen and gave it back. It was no big deal. It wasn't entered into the notes. Uh, and it was a big mistake. That was the big mistake. Um, if we hadn't had the cameras we would have been dealing with an intriguing case of running footsteps down the stairs. What we were actually dealing with was a pen, a pencil, bouncing down the flight of stairs uh, and then being picked up through the case of the recorder, which was placed on the wooden stair. We corrected two things. One, we spoke to the investigators and made sure that every incident, event, um, you know, such as dropping a pen or sneezing or coughing was recorded properly, which they should have been doing. And secondly, we put, we placed uh, thereafter, every investigator was given a a bath sponge to place their recorders onto to prevent right. or, or minimise that ca that case uh, vibrational stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you learn from your mistakes and errors. So uh, I know we're just about out of time. We're going to have to take a break. But when we come back, I have a uh, a uh, actually I have two cases I want to talk about Ooh. about demons. Ooh. Demons that we actually faced in uh, our investigation, ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, at least we thought. So, anyways, uh, you have to stay tuned to hear the, these stories. So, uh, you listen to Ghost Chronicles. I am confused now. I don't know if it's international or next generation. It's but... the international next generation edition. There you go. We'll be back. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. 
Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more. Located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Y'all, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles: The Next Generation with me, the Bald Bombshell, and the other Bald Bombshell. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> New England's own Van Kitchen. Semi Bond Bombshell. Yeah, I'm only the sub host, so what do I know? Anyway, demons. Yes, yes, I want to tell you my running with demons. Were well, these? John's just asked in the chat room: Is this a real one or a Scooby Doo demon? Oh, it was real. It oh, was real. Terrifying. Do tell. Absolutely. Get on with it. So my first uh, one I'd like to talk about was at this uh, location um, that this uh, family was having all kinds of problems. They they thought they were being haunted by demons, and uh, there was all kinds of nasty stuff going on. So we were in one of the rooms where they all felt very uncomfortable and. And so we were doing an EVP session. You're familiar with that, Steve, right? I am. Yes. So we, we had the recorder set up, and we were asking questions. And, uh, you know, you know, uh, you a demon? Uh, do you like us being here? <laughs> you know, those real good ones. Those real gut ones. A lot of thought went into this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So when we played it back, right? And uh, we, we heard the part where it says, do you like us being here? And you heard very distinctly, you heard, Aah! oh, it's chilled. It went up your spine. It was like, oh, my God, you hear that? Oh, my God, you hear that? Well, our uh, EVP specialist, Jim Stonia, he has this good habit of uh, using two recorders when he records. And uh, we got this one, and we heard definitely uh, that ferocious growl of the demon on it. And then he had the other one, uh, when he played it back, you very distinctly heard uh, someone's stomach growling. (laughs) 
Yeah, but, it's amazing how many sounds the human body can make. Oh, yeah, very quietly. You all let up. And, and, and the interesting thing about it is Jim is is very good about that. You know, like if a car comes by, car can you by, you know, or, or, you know, somebody drops something, he'll, that's all entered in there. So, that, you know, it's entered right in to the audio so that you know what it is. So that's why he has that second recorder. So there's definitely a, re- a recording of, of everything that goes on if they do it properly. <laughs> and uh, so, yep, so it was not a demon, just the demon stomach. So, Yeah, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, the second was was more terrifying, I think. And this was out the Houghton Mansion in uh, North Adams. And uh, up in Mary's room, Mary was one of the persons that died in a tragic car accident. And uh, anyways, this is was supposedly... What was she doing her- driving in a car in a room? No, she wasn't in the room. That was the room she lived in. She- oh. Silly boy. <laughs> so anyways, uh, it, it's an interesting story. They, they went out for a drive, and uh, they were going up the mountain, and there was a work gang, and they, they went around the work gang, and the chauffeur hit the s- sidewall, and they rolled down the mountain, and Mary was uh, killed. Uh, and uh, no, Hutton, her, her niece was killed, and uh, she died shortly after. And then the chauffeur uh, the next day went and uh, shot himself in the head in the, in the barn. And then the uh, uh, father, who was in the car too, uh, died of unknown circumstances shortly after, like three or four days later. So, anyways, we're in Mary's room, and um, this is chair that's called Mary's chair. And if you sit in this chair, you have a an experience, you know, a paranormal experience. Most people do when they sit in this chair. So my son was sitting in it, and then uh, he left, and then uh, there were some other people there, and one of the women came and, and sat in the chair, and and she says, "Oh, I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable here at all. I feel very under. Oh, oh, I smell sulfur. I smell sulfur." Ah, it's demons here, demons, demons. And then she got up and ran away. And then another woman jumped in the chair and sat down. And she says, oh, my God, I smell it, too. It's like, but the only thing was they were just smelling the burritos my son had had for a bunch. There was no demon. Uh, what, what were these sulfur burritos for? <laughs> it was gross. Yes, it was. Uh, Mind you, you know, we, 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 I, I. This afternoon but we, we jumped talking to about conclusions, you know. Yeah, well, sometimes you know, one of the things I've always I always uh, say, and you've heard me say, is that the the role of an investigator is should not they should not diagnose until the investigation is concluded, and they should avoid at all costs mm-hmm. um, offering a diagnosis as to what's going on because they can they can affect um, the 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 psyche the psyche of the of the people who are involved in the case who are living in the property. Um, however, there are occasions when the opportunity to make an instant diagnosis and solve the case, um, like presents itself, and you, you have to break the rules. And I recall a case. Uh, I'm going to talk, talk about two because they're both similarly related to one another. One um, that we recalled to many, many years ago involved a, a, a lady who was very advanced in her in years and was living in sheltered accommodation. And her husband had passed away around six months earlier. And of course, that that she was obviously still very um, uh, uh, grieving for him. But. Um, just a few weeks uh, uh, over the 
the, 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 the few weeks before we were called in, she had been seeing his face in the little door peep viewer um, of her front door of her sheltered um, flat. Um, and she oh, was wow. very disturbed by it. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, she started to see the face in a picture that hung over the mantle of the, uh, 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 the mantelpiece. And while she was deeply in love with her husband of over 50 years, she really didn't want him, uh, you know, around. Hanging around, she, yeah. She wanted him, you know, to stay dead. And she was very, very upset and greatly disturbed by the fact that he kept appearing. So we went along, at myself and Anne, Anne Winsper from Parascience, and we went with nothing because the first visit we were just there to uh, talk to the lady. We weren't, you know, establish a relationship, uh, get to know her, let her get to know us. But during the course of the evening, um, I, she pointed at the door viewer and um, I asked if I could look at it more closely and I looked through it. And I could immediately, it, it was quite shocking, actually, I could immediately see a face looking back at me. Really? Uh, absolutely. Um, and it, it took me aback for a moment. And then I looked a little, I looked again a little more closely. And what I could see, it immediately uh, was apparent what was happening. Rather like you see the face of the man in the moon, this, there, was, there was some sort of dirt or, or, or uh, moisture that had gathered inside the lens elements of the, of the optics of this spy hole in the door. And because it's such a wide, wide angle view, it's nearly a fisheye on the front of right. the corridor yeah. side. It was catching the light from a corridor uh, security light that was allowing it to be sort of side lit. And this, this mark, this blemish inside the optics, um, it really did look like a face. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we took the thing out, we gave it a clean up um, <laughs> and we put it back and lo and behold, it had gone. Now, that obviously explains the, the face in the door viewer, but it didn't explain the face in the, in the picture, in the picture frame on the mantle. Yeah. What that was, um, what we're dealing with there is, is uh, an interesting, we'd, we'd found the trigger. The first event was seeing uh, and being startled to see her husband's face uh, or, uh, or a face which she then interpreted as her husband in the door viewer. She then noticed a few days later uh, that he was appearing in a picture frame, uh, in this picture, in the corner of the picture. And during the course of the conversation, um, she went to make us a cup of tea. And uh, she opened the kitchen cupboard, and there inside was a, was a cabinet, a, a box, a Tupperware box full of medication. And it was eye medication. And I immediately, because of my nursing background, immediately recognized the eye drops as being uh, as a treatment for uh, certain types of glaucoma. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, well, do you have some eye problems? She said, well, yes, I'm at the doctor's. Um, and that she was receiving medication, uh, these eye drops uh, um, for, for glaucoma, which had come on in the last six months. You know, she'd been taking treatments. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Charles Bonnet syndrome manifests, um, particularly in the elderly, it's, it's predominant in the elderly, um, in that they see patterns, shapes, and most commonly of all, faces. And one of the characteristics is that they are Lilliputian, that they are smaller in, than they should be in, in real life. Um, 
And what she was seeing, what she was describing with the picture frame was this Lilliputian, much smaller, approximately about the size of a baseball uh, in diameter, face of her husband in the corner of this picture. Um, it was it was pretty evident that what she what she was suffering from was Charles Bonnet syndrome. But the triggering fact that that she'd seen the face in the door viewer had been the, the sort of trigger factor and that then she was seeing faces um, or she saw this face shape which she then ascribed to her recently deceased husband so we were able to the other interesting one relating to um, a very similar case was one where a gentleman had contacted us and he had said that um, some evenings whilst he's sitting watching television, he noticed that there was a figure, a white, hazy apparition, standing to his right-hand side. Really? It wasn't there all the time, but it was there some evenings. So we visited three or four times. And on one occasion, we were actually there the night he said he was sitting in his usual spot on the sofa, watching TV, and he said the the it's there. I can see it. It's there. If I look towards it, it goes away. But if I look back towards the television, I can see it quite clearly. Mm. Now we 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 were there. We were looking, and we there's nothing there. We can't see anything. So we we swapped seats with him, and it, we couldn't see anything. He yeah. he sat back there, and within a few moments, he could see this. When he looked at the television, he could see this. We we were. You know, obviously perplexed and so we, we, we you know we run out of time that day so we went back a few days later uh, to try to do some follow-up and on that occasion this was the fifth fourth or fifth visit possibly the, it was the fifth visit um, when we arrived I commented uh, as we walked in oh I didn't know you wore glasses because he was wearing glasses which we'd never seen him wear before um, and he said oh yeah I wear them sometimes when I'm not wearing my contact lenses and the little light bulb went on in the back of my head. Um, so we said, what sort of contact lenses do you wear? Are they hard shell or soft shell? Or, you know, do you throw them away every day? Um, or do you, you know, reuse the same pair? He said, oh, no, I get, I get one every, you know, I, I, they're hard shell. Um, and I get them, you know, monthly from the, from the optician. Uh, well, when did you get the last, the last delivery? Oh, it was about a month ago um, i'm coming to the end of these now um when did the apparition you know we already knew that the apparition had started to appear about three three and a half weeks earlier so we asked him if we could have a look at the contact lenses uh so he, he duly brought them down and the right hand lens had a, um, a an aberration the way it was manufactured uh, along one edge of it now of course you don't always contact lenses are symmetrical and, and circular um, so you don't always put it in in the same way. Uh, so sometimes this aberration was at the top. Sometimes it was towards the inside aspect of, you know, towards the nose. Sometimes it was underneath. Sometimes it was on, you know, towards the ear. When he put it in on those days when it was towards the ear, the wall light behind his head was catching the edge of the contact lens. Really? And causing this, um, this aberration, this smoky sort of white form which he then, you know, because he wasn't seeing it clearly, was saying, oh, there is this white uh, figure-like apparition standing to my right-hand side. The contact lens ghost. <laughs> that's that's. And the clue true. was, we could have gone back for weeks and weeks and weeks. If he hadn't switched to his glasses, glasses you would have never known. We would never have been given that first clue as to what might be going wrong. Uh, oh, wow. might, or, or, you know, 
it's it's even possible that you know in some circumstances some people may not even have noticed he'd switch between the, you know to glasses. Yeah, because it's just entirely normal, you know. It's an entirely yeah. normal. It's so normal that most people wouldn't, you know. A, a lot of people may not notice that he was wearing glasses. It's just that, you know, as I went in, um, and I commented, "Oh, didn't know you wore glasses." <laughs> and the whole so lot we came up from. A, yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. We actually got a question for you and from the chat room too. So do you want to answer that while we? Yeah, it's just, going to um, my story? Do Do you like to investigate in the UK or the US? Well. I don't see very much difference between them, actually, John. Um, I do prefer to investigate in the UK for the simple reason it's home territory and I can communicate more, more effectively. Um, with you have the, more with, control. Well, no, I can communicate more effectively with the people because we have... Well, uh, we, we don't speak English here? We, no, it's not in terms of communication. It's also cultural communication. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. The nuances, the subtleties. That you Americans understand Americans implicitly well because you are an American. I am British and I understand British people. So in terms of the practical applications, the, the nature of the phenomena, I, I don't see any difference at all. A um, ghost is a ghost is a ghost. The technique is the technique is the technique and the method's the same pretty much wherever you go in the world. I do enjoy um, American cases, perhaps more because they're new and exciting. Um, and, you know, it's a, fre it's a fresh location, it's a fresh challenge. And so that's kind of, you know, uh, more exciting to me. And particularly the, um, uh, the fort at Plymouth Harbour, the Coast Guard base and the lighthouse. Plymouth um, Harbour. So, um, yeah, that's that's one that I really think you need to kick up the ass and should get that one done properly. <laughs> Anyways, moving right along. Uh, you know, what are the, I guess uh, we were doing this investigation up in uh, Kingsborough, Mass. And uh, uh, it was late at night. And this, this woman, it's an old, old house. Well, for us, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I just can't yeah. say that to you because that's like you know, seventeen yeah. hundreds is old. But yeah, the door the doorknobs on our house is old. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> so old for us. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, she felt uncomfortable once again, and and saw things, and and uh, things would be moved about in the house, and uh, so forth. So, uh, anyways. Uh, the woman we came to investigate and she had a couple of dogs so she took them out of the house for us and allowed us to do our investigation so we go to one of the rooms and uh we're, we're there in the dock see we're in the dock uh because you have to investigate the dock right steve you speak for yourself ron <laughs> I was being facetious. Uh, so we're in the dock, and uh, there was three or four of us. Maureen was there, and uh, Clay, and Jim, uh, I don't think Jim was there. Clay was there, and my son was. So we're sitting there, and, and we're by the window, and, and it, it it looked weird by the window. It just it just had a strange vibe to it, too. It just felt kind of weird. So I, I says, Maureen, come here, come here. So I went, I went and I was looking out the window and I was looking over the, the well and all the thing. I says, you know, and Maureen's a medium. So I said, uh, Maureen, come here. And I, I want to know what you sense. It. Look out this window and, and tell me what you sense. So she's looking there and she, she's got a funny face, look on her face. And I can't figure out what the hell's going on. And she's not she's saying anything. You for a start. Uh, she's, she's not saying anything. And, and I'm saying, well, you know, what, what do you sense? What do you sense? 
and I mean, do you do you you feel anything? Do you do you you know what 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 you know? Do you smell anything? You see, she doesn't put her under any pressure to perform then. No, not at all, not at all. So I said, so she she looks at me with this face and finally says, "I smell dog shit." <laughs> and then I took a big whiff, and sure enough, that's what I. And I looked down and I realized that I had stepped in a pile of dog shit. Uh, you see, dogs and curtains, they always go beyond the curtain. Yeah, so that's why you don't like to do investigating in the night. So uh, <laughs> you don't know what you step in. So, yeah, that was that was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dogs. yeah you, I mean, but, you know, seriously, we talked about things that I talked about, too, that were exp- uh, you know easy to explain. And you talked about you know, things that you know can go wrong. But oh, sometimes, really wrong. <laughs> sometimes you're faced with situations where you simply cannot explain what just took place. And and you are left unable to offer an explanation, a plausible explanation. Of course, a, a good cynic can pretty much explain anything. A good away. cynic will explain everything away. Um, but you know, Joe Nickel is an expert in that. Of course, he is. And so but, is Richard Wiseman. But you have you have to recognise as a as a, a, an investigator that there are times when you have to throw up your hands and say, "We have tried everything we can." to replicate to understand what took place and the nature of the experience that 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 happened um perhaps to ourselves you know we were the person that had the experience so it was a first-hand experience that we're dealing with um and yet you can't you cannot explain that and one of the incidents um that that uh, I, I refer to took place at the Camelot shipyard, which was the 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 building place of the CSS Alabama, the Confederate uh, warship. And we'd been there for quite some time um, as part of our investigations. It was one of the longest we'd ever done, uh, lasting well over three years and more than ten thousand man hours. But on this particular occasion, uh, the the local BBC television wanted to do a short ten minute. Uh, piece for an evening news slot, a docu news slot uh, program, and they sent along a reporter and a cameraman to join us for a night at the shipyard, which at that time was was closing down. And we it, we we kind of said to them beforehand, well, nothing much is going to happen, uh, you know, nothing at all is probably going to happen. And true to form, um, at four o'clock in the morning, uh, after being there for eight hours. No, Nothing no. Had, had happened, and what our pro, our job was to lock up. We had the keys. We had to lock up. We had the you know we had the the privilege of having the keys to this building, so it's something we took you know the security very seriously to ensure that we didn't get you know uh, we could always keep going back. Right. So, I lock, my job was to lock the door, turn the key, pull the door, make sure we'd shut it, and then Anne would double check it. While she was doing that. Um, we both noticed that one of the upstairs on the first floor, uh, as you Americans would say, the second floor, um, <laughs> lights were on. And we we, we were convinced we turned it off. Um, and it was like, oh, we've left the lights on. At that moment, as we said that, as we realized that, that light went off and another light, uh, three or four windows along the uh, building came on. At that point, we realized that we were dealing with somebody probably in the building, an intruder may have got in. Um, so we, you know, I unlocked the door and we went back into the building, fully expecting to find somebody in there. Uh, we could he- actually hear noises from above, which sounded like somebody moving about. So we we went up the flight of stairs. We were we, we rather suspected 
that either it was a, you know somebody had broken in because the place had been abandoned, uh, you know, closed down, uh, or that perhaps the only security guard on site who never ventured out of his hut uh, had decided on that one occasion to perhaps play a prank or do a walk around. So not, you know, we went up the stairs to the to the upper floor, uh, and as we entered the upper floor through the double swing doors, we we were. Uh, what we were dealing with was an old uh, ship design office. It was a very long, open-plan uh, building uh, with with ceiling lights. Um, every other panel on this suspended uh, ceiling was was a, was a light panel, and each of these light panels was controlled by a pull string that turned the light panel on or off. And we could see the light panels actually going on and going off uh, on opposite sides of the room, side to side, and and along the length of the room. There was no sequence. They were just going on and off. Um, and we we heard, uh, bear in mind, we'd been in this building a very long time. We could actually identify which door was moving by the sound of it. And we heard the swing doors at the opposite end uh, moving. So we, we were absolutely convinced by this time that there was uh, you know, somebody in this. So I went, what well, the building was, was actually uh, effectively... Um, like a cloister around a central uh, space. So I went one way round to cut them off and, and waited at the double door. We went in, we met in the middle kind of thing. There was nobody there. And yet while we stood there, the lights uh, continued for a, a moment or two to continue this, this pattern. And we could hear the click of the pull switch. Oh, wow. Uh, over the following... There was a humorous moment with the BBC who, uh, cameraman who rushed in with the reporter immediately, you know, in tow and thrust a, a, a full lit camera into our face and said, so is this a ghost? Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be met by me, Ted, with a very confused look, I don't know. Uh, for the next three months, we, we, we got the, the wiring diagrams. We spoke in eventually to the person who designed the electrical installation for the building who confirmed that there was no master switch, that the only way to turn a light panel on or off was, to, was by, the, by the, the pull switch um, and that the, the only switch electrically isolated the entire floor. So it was an all-off situation um, in, in that they had no power. But if you had, if you wanted a light panel on, you had to manually pull the switch. Oh wow! I I cannot to this day, and would never, you know, say that that could be explained. Uh, Steve in the chat room has said, has asked us both: Do you believe that the presence of an investigation can alter the fabric or cause of events that can lead to the occurrence? Absolutely, Steve. The mere oh, yeah, presence, absolutely. the mere yeah. presence of an investigator or an investigation in progress uh, can and always does alter the nature of the experiences reported. Not, not least because, you know, uh, the simplest level, you are paying the people attention. You are giving them some attention. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they, you are changing their awareness state, particularly if you ask them to complete something like a diary, which almost all investigators do these days. And it, 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 for a lot of good reasons, it's practical advice. Um, but you have to recognize that when you ask people to keep a diary, they start you know, thinking more about what, what's happening day to day. And simple things that they would normally ignore and disregard are put into the diary. And then because they're in the diary, they are attributed to, you know, uh, the paranormal. 
So, yeah, the, the mere presence of an investigator will dramatically alter the nature of uh, the events that are reported. But a, a competent investigator should be able to uh, mitigate that to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's a it's an intriguing thing what we do. And, and I, you know, I know we're almost out of time, but I have absolutely things I cannot, uh, you know, cannot explain. Uh, you know, I, I talked to you about the flashlight I was handed that has makes no sense at all. I mean, that's one of the, the most intriguing ones to uh, the bell didn't ring. No kidding. Out of time. Well, it didn't bring last night on international either. I don't know. You better talk to Eric about that. We we lost. You need a new clapper in the bell. Yeah, get the bell fixed. Will you for Colonel? Well, so are we out of time? Is the tunes playing? What the hell's going on here? Yes, we're out of time. Okay, fine. Uh, so I guess it's time to wrap it Saved up. Saved by the bell. <laughs> yeah. So I won't tell my story then. All right. Tune in so, to next week's Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation, and here, Ron and the Top Flashlight. Too late. Bye. Goodies <laughs> to ghosties, long leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.